0: I'm Tom Zuba. I'm the guy with the two dead kids and the dead wife. At first, I did grief the old way. And then I discovered a new way to do grief. I'm on my way to becoming radiant. Thanks for joining my podcast today. We're going to do this thing together. Welcome, everybody. I'm really, really happy that you are here. I'm Tom Zuba, and I'm the author of two books, Permission to Mourn and Becoming Radiant. And tonight, I have three people. Actually, there's five of us. You can see, well, there's. Actually, I'm not really good at math. There's actually eight of us. You can see three of them. You can see four of us. You can see me. I'm Tom Zuba. You can see my friend Dawn and you can see my friends, Kim and Kirk. You're not able to see, but my hope is is that you will feel them and you will get a sense of who they are as our conversation unfolds. You're gonna meet Dylan, who is a most amazing, cool, cool dude that when I get to the other side, I'm gonna go to his jazz club And you're gonna meet Garrett, and I wear his red sweatshirt. So I pretty much am with Garrett every morning when I'm out walking, Molly, searching for owls. And if you know me, then you know Trish, and you know Aaron, and you know Rory. So tonight, we're gonna have a really, really, really important conversation. And I'm gonna share my truth. Dawn's gonna share her truth. Kirk's gonna share his truth, and Kim's gonna share her truth. I wanna make this really, really clear. None of us, none of us are telling you what you should believe. You're an adult, and you get to believe whatever you want. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that. What I know is that the beliefs that we choose Everything we believe, we have chosen to believe. Most of us choose on a subconscious level. When someone we love dies, we're cracked open. We're awakened. I was gonna say we're woken up, we're woke. And because we're woke, we get to decide what direction we're gonna move in. And for most of us, when the pain has become absolutely unbearable, intolerable, inexplicable, overwhelming, we kind of look around and go, I wonder if there's a different way. You know, I wonder, is there possibly a new way to do this? And there is. There absolutely is a new way to do this thing called grief. And when we do it a new way, we create a new way to do life and we consciously decide to move in the direction of peace as opposed to the direction of pain. So I want to begin tonight by saying something that remarkably, it is controversial. I am living with the death of my daughter, Erin, the death of my wife, Trish, and the death of my son, Rory. And I'm gonna share what's true for me. I do believe healing is possible. I do, I know that's a revolutionary thought. I believe healing is possible. I don't believe it's a destination, at least it's not for me. Healing becomes my way of being in the world and I'm perfectly cool with that. I'm actually grateful to know that. And you know what? It's no longer a mystery to me how we heal. I know how we heal. I've written two books about it. I coach people one-on-one. I offer online classes, online retreats, in-person retreats with one objective. One objective, to give people the knowledge the wisdom, and the tools to heal their broken hearts. And in a nutshell, this is how we heal. We set the intention. That's where it begins. We set the intention to heal. We create a vision of what our individual healing looks like, feels like, tastes like, sounds like. If I don't know where I'm going, how will I get there? How will I know when I arrive? Intention, vision. And this third step is the step that most people skip over. If you're familiar with the movie, The Secret or the book, The Secret, I skipped over this step. We feel it. We feel it. We have to feel it. Why? Because we have to raise our vibrational level out of lack, out of lack, which is where 99.9% of us go. We're pushed into it. We step into it. We dive into lack when our beloved leaves planet Earth in order to step out of lack, we have to raise our vibrational level. There's a couple of ways to do it, but the, the most direct way is through the door of gratitude. It's through the door of gratitude. Intention, vision, feeling, action steps, action steps, action steps. We've been told over and over again, the time heals all wounds. I promise you it does not. I promise you it does not. All you have to do is look around Facebook, go to support groups, go to national conferences, and there will be people who who will want you to sit next to them and they'll say, the second year is worse. It's been five years for me and there's a hole in my heart that will never be healed. Been 10 years and I'm counting the days till I get to be with Betsy. Been 15 years. I can't believe I'm still alive. There's a new way. I promise you. I promise you. I got this t shirt. It says Radiant. Controversial. I know it's controversial. And I want to say none of us, none of us were here in week two. In, in year one, in year one and a half, in year two, none of us were here. We're going to talk a little bit tonight about the length of the road that we have been traveling. So I believe, I believe that everyone that is listening live or is listening to the recording, your beloved brought you here. Your beloved brought you here take what resonates, take what resonates, leave the rest, leave the rest. I believe healing is possible. Like I said, there are many, many, many tools we can use to raise our vibrational level. One of them is called a singing bowl. The people that made the singing bowl believe they believe that it vibrates at a healing level i choose to believe the same thing we are each such powerful creators that our beliefs create our experiences if i believe this vibrates at a healing level it will help me heal period It will also draw more healing energy into my life. I literally, consciously, in this moment, engage with the vibration of that bowl. I work at it, I open myself up and I allow that vibration to enter my being and I match my energy with the energy of the healing singing bowl. Like energy attracts like energy. That's one concrete, conscious step I can take to heal. I also believe this is a decision that I've made. I've chosen to believe this, that we are each light and love. I literally believe that, that we are light and love. Dawn is light and love. Kirk is light and love. Kim is light and love. love. Kirk and Kim have a brand new, beautiful grandson. I've seen him in person. He literally is light and love. He came into the planet as light and love. The same as every single one of us. And if you read the Four Agreements, What human beings do, we don't do it intentionally. It's just our way of living subconsciously. We domesticate our children. We say, if you behave this way, you will be loved. You are lovable. If you behave that way or that way, not so much, not so much. We came from love. We came from light. We want more of that. We abandon who we are and we conform. We conform, we conform, we conform. The nice way uh, I describe that is people put their shit on us, their shit on us, their shit on us, their shit on us, their shit on us. We are still light and love. We just forget. We don't know it. When someone we love dies, we're cracked open. Some of us decide to start removing the ship. We take it off. We take it off. We take it off. We take it off. Guess what? We discover what we always were. What we always were. We discover I've always been radiant. I have always been radiant. And when we do everything that we came here to do, which is primarily... To love and to be loved. That's the primary reason that we came to the planet, people. To love and to be loved. We're also welcome to explore planet Earth, God's creation, and revel, marvel in the divine beauty and power that surrounds us. I live in the Midwest. It is Gorgeous. The geese are flying. The leaves are just beginning to turn red and yellow. Today was about 80 degrees. Heaven in Rockford, Illinois. That's part of the reason I came to the planet. I also came to the planet to be a teacher and to be a student. To be a teacher and to be a student. And you know what? When I'm all done loving and being loved, when I'm all done marveling in God's incredible creation, when I'm all done teaching and being taught, I have no more need for this physical body. I return to love and light. I return to love and light. Kind of controversial, I know. What I believe. I'm going to light this candle tonight. I'm going to particularly light this in honor In honor, in deep, deep gratitude and appreciation for my friends, Dylan and Garrett. They're my friends. And I got to know them. I got to know them through their parents. But now they walk with me. I get to know them (laughs) through them. And I like this in honor and in memory and in gratitude for every single one of your beloveds who brought you here, who brought you here. I'm not a medium. My medium is Rachel Pearson. I'm not a medium, but I know, I know, I know at the deepest level of my heart that among all the things our beloveds are saying to us are heal, heal, heal. And I love you, I love you, I love you. They are saying, I'm not suffering. I don't miss you. I'm with you, how could I miss you? I'm not angry. I hardly remember how I left my physical body. The reason I don't remember it is because it's so glorious here. That was an exit. I have no memory. I was yanked out of my body, like every single human being. And one of the things I've noticed is you kill me over and over and over again every single day. Stop reliving it. It happened once and I don't remember it. I like this for them. I like this for them. And I like this for every single one of you. Tonight, 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 what I would love for you to do, Dawn, and what I would love for you, Kim and Kirk, to do is just a thumbnail introduction because I had a 90-minute chat with Dawn. I had a 90-minute chat with Kim and Kirk where they talked about their lives with their sons. They talked about their son's deaths. They talked about the road to healing. That's all on my YouTube channel. It is all there for you to drink in, drink in. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's begin, if you don't mind, Dawn, tell us a little bit about Dylan. This unbelievable rock star, cool, cool dude who happened to kill himself.
1: Yeah, well, he's telling me, oh, wait, you need, I, I need the whole 90 minutes. <laughs> That's on my kid rolls. So anyway, no, Dylan was a great kid. Um, Dylan was my only child. Um, and he did take his life uh, at the age of 18 in 2015. Uh, so I'm coming up on five years. Um, yeah. Dylan was a sports enthusiast. Um, he tried really anything. If he, you know, if he didn't succeed, well, then we knew not to try that again. Or we or we went to the ER because he usually was ramping something. Um, so, yeah, he was a great kid. Um, he made me the mom who I am today. And uh, I relish and cherish every second of it. Um,
0: that's about Dylan. <laughs> so that's very cool, Kim. You first, and then Kirk.
2: Okay. Oh, okay. Um, Garrett. Garrett uh, died uh, for a little over four years ago um, on May twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen. He was twenty six. I sometimes get the twenty six and twenty seven mixed up. But it's hard to believe, but anyway, he died uh, May twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen. He was twenty six years old and. Um, He was a preemie baby, and in between the time he finally got his footing after that and the time he died, he was a fun, loving kid, a uh, normal, fun, loving child, enjoyed everything, um, had a few physical limitations, but he was our baby, and he was doted on and loved well by everyone. So we had a normal life and, and normal kids. So he was, um, he was definitely
3: the favored one of the three. Kirk. Uh, Garrett was one of the most kind people I've ever known in my life. He never said anything bad about anybody. And I learned from that from Garrett. He was an alcoholic too. So he struggled with that at the end. And he, like Kim said, he was a, premature baby. But in between those two things, you know, he lived a life, a full life full of love and family. Dawn, did you
0: have weeks or months or years as Dylan's mother worrying that he might die by suicide?
1: I did. Well, Yeah, well, no, I don't know if I really thought about suicide per se, but I always had this deep inclination or gut feeling that Dylan wasn't going to live to be an old man. I don't know what it was. I don't know why I felt that there was nothing in my, you know, mind that, you know, thought that or put it there. It was just something It was just a gut feeling I had when he was little, you know.
0: Did um, you ever share that with anybody? No. Do you no, have a sense, did Dylan think he was going to live a long, full, glorious, radiant life?
1: Yeah, he, he used to tell me, you know, that he was going to pick my nursing home. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he was going li- to have to live that long to pick my nursing home. Actually, he told me I was going to live here at the Veterans Home, and he was going to live in our house. So,
0: Love it, love it. How about you, Kirk? Did you guys worry that
3: Garrett might die by suicide. Yes, we worried about it. He, Like I said, at the end, his last probably five or six years, he got into very deep alcoholism and we did worry about it. He was living with the girl at the time. There was some sort of incident there at where they were living that she called the cops. And so Kim and I, we took a special trip up there. We knew he had at least two guns. And so we took a special trip up there to try to find the guns. And his girlfriend at the time was on board with that. And she took him out somewhere or something. And I went back to their place and looked through everything. And I found one, but he had the other gun locked in his trunk. So yeah, we talked about it. And we even talked about it with Garrett. And Garrett told us that, you know, he never would do that because he, these are his words. It, it was the chicken way out. So that, that was what he was relating to with the alcoholism that he was going to, what I took it as, is he was going to beat the disease of alcoholism and not take, according to him, the chicken way out of completing suicide.
0: And and, and when he told you that, did you believe him? And did that bring you some comfort and peace?
3: Yes. No so, doubt. I, I believed him a hundred percent.
0: And Kim, did, did Gareth think he was going to live a long, full, glorious life?
2: No, no. He, uh, as a, I would say probably the first time he ever told us, and this is when he was happy, go lucky, everything great, before he became an alcoholic or ever started drinking, he had voiced a couple times that he thought he would die before he was 30. He did have some physical limitations, but they were not life threatening. And uh, for some reason, he had voiced a couple different times. He said, You know, I think I won't make it to 30. And we always said, Well, there's no reason for that. You're healthy, you're well. There's no reason to believe that. And he voiced that a couple different times. Uh, But not in pain or agony or when he was sad or depressed, just a fact that he thought he would die before 30. And he did.
0: Did you put much weight to that when he would say that?
2: Not really. Um, I didn't understand where it came from. He was happy. Go lucky kid.
0: Did... Any of you grow up in a church that addressed and talked about what happened to people who left the planet via suicide?
1: Yeah, I did. I grew up Catholic. And uh, I mean, it, it wasn't talked about. I, As a child, I didn't know anybody who had passed by suicide. Um, but I do remember, uh, you know, growing up and being told that self suicide was selfish. It was such a selfish act and, you know, and I, and I was one of those people, um, probably about a year before Dylan died. I had a uh, high school friend that died by suicide and I distinctly remember saying, wow, what a selfish thing to do. And boy, when you're in it, you really, your mind shifts, uh, after you've experienced it yourself,
0: or for me. When, when you were growing up, was there any message via the Catholic Church about what happened to the souls of people who exited by suicide? You
1: know, maybe indirectly. I don't recall ever being told specifically, but I think it was known that if somebody takes their life, they don't go to heaven.
0: They, they go to hell? You take, I, I was raised Catholic, too. If you die by suicide, you are banished to eternal damnation and you burn in hell. Yeah. How about you guys, Kim and Kirk? The church you went to, was there any message about suicide?
3: Yeah, I went to the Methodist church, and I believe this is correct, is they considered it a mortal sin. And that, yeah, you would go to hell for that. It's a mortal sin, whatever. I don't know the definition of mortal sin, but that's that's what I believe. That's correct.
0: You're making me rack my brain because we were taught there are venial sins and there were mortal sins. Yes, and I think that they even there was a list of you know what the mortal sins were. Yeah, how about you, Kim? Um, you know,
2: same as Kirk. You know, we attended the uh, the Lutheran church growing up, and then the Methodist church after I married Kirk. So. And the kids were all baptized in the Methodist church. So, uh, yeah, I kind of grew up with the idea, somehow, breathed in the idea that if you died by suicide, if you killed yourself, uh, that was a bad thing. And that you would be, you know, unable to go to heaven.
0: Kim and Kirk, did you guys know anybody that had died by suicide before your son did?
3: I didn't. I didn't know anybody that had died by suicide before Garrett.
2: I don't think I did either.
3: So Dawn, you
0: had an experience, but neither you, Kirk, nor Kim did. So when it kind of sinks in that my child, you know, there's so many different phrases for this moment, I'm going to say my child took his own life did you think like, did you wonder, Oh, you know, I wonder where exactly Dylan is, you know, is he burning in hell or where is Garrett, you know, is he burning in hell or banished from heaven? Did those thoughts enter your mind?
1: Yeah. Um, so I didn't exactly question where he was. My whole, I mean, I knew my son went to heaven, um, and was at peace but i also was like as a mom you know i was where did i want to know like where did he go where is he is he okay that that's what i kept
0: asking myself is he okay but but you did believe that he immediately went to heaven absolutely and i guess what you're saying is you didn't have i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but correct me if i'm wrong it's like like most of us, we never really thought about or were taught what it's actually like to be in heaven. So even though you knew he was in heaven, you weren't exactly sure if he was okay, if everything was okay with him? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How about you guys, Kim and Kirk? What, what were your thoughts?
2: Um, let's see. When Garrett first died, it was so surreal. Uh, it was hard to, just was hard to believe. Um, and I remember someone saying to me, well, God will forgive him. And my first response was forgive him for what? For having so much pain that he ended his own suffering you know, instinctively I knew where Garrett was, that he was with God, wherever that was. Of course, I wasn't questioning who my God was or where Garrett was just that I knew he had gone to heaven. God,
3: would it punish someone in pain. How about you, Kirk? Yeah, I knew immediately that he went to my definition of heaven. I had to explore with you who my God was, where God was, where Garrett was, where heaven was. I didn't dive into that until Garrett died, but yeah, I knew he went to heaven. Like Kim said, it never resonated with me that God's gonna punish One of his children, if they're not thinking clearly, if they're depressed, if they're you know full of shame and regret, that that doesn't make sense that they should be punished for that. And also, I will add, I knew it immediately. We went to a relapse prevention counselor like two weeks after Garrett died, and then we went to another counselor in Dodd City, and that was the first. I didn't tell Kim this till after. But that was the first thing. The first question I asked him is, do you believe Garrett went to heaven when, you know, we told him our story that Garrett died by suicide. And I asked him, do you believe that Garrett went to heaven? And he said, yes. And I told Kim after our meeting, if he would have said no, I was getting up and walking out. So I I knew immediately. And Kim said, well, why didn't you tell me? And I go, "I, I don't know why I didn't tell her, but I already had my mind made up. Yeah, so I'm not positive about this, but my gut says the three of you
0: are not the norm. I think that the, I bet more than 50% of people whose loved ones die by suicide, they are not 100% positive that their loved ones go to whatever their version of heaven is. And that's based on the people that I've worked with one on one, the people that I've had in my programs, and the people at conferences that I speak at. So I do think that you guys are a little bit unusual in that regard. But I want to ask you this there's a quote that it's one of my all time favorite quotes, and it's by Richard Rohr We become the God we worship. We become the God we worship. And it sounds like the three of you had a really clear understanding, or the death of your beloved, you know, allowed you to step into a really clear understanding of your God. And that's why you were so confident that your God embraced your child slash his or her child. So how would you, you know, from the chair you're sitting in now, how do you define or
3: describe God? Let's start with you, Kirk. Uh, I define God as love and I knew Garrett went to heaven immediately because I just knew it in my soul I could feel it but also when I later on after I started thinking clearer I always try to look at both sides of a situation and I always try to put myself in another person's shoes and so say Say if I was God, I'm, I don't know if that's blasphemy or not, but say if I'm God and I love everyone on earth because they're all my children. I love them more than me as a human can comprehend. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't make sense to me that I'm going to punish someone who is not thinking clearly, who has, um, you know, depression, some sort of mental handicapped, uh, an alcoholic, you know, a drug addict, an addiction, you know, if they were my children, even as myself, if they were my children, I wouldn't punish them for that. I would try to help them. I would show them love. I would extend them grace. I would not punish them for that. That doesn't make sense to me on any level.
0: How about you, Don? How How would you define, describe your version of God?
1: Yeah, so my God is all encompassing. He, he is love. He is compassion, and uh, he is non-judgmental. Um, you know, I spoke to God many, many times prior to Dylan's death, and saying, you know, please, please heal him. Please, please put him at peace. Please, um, I can remember that um, the two youth pastors that Dylan participated at uh, the local church here. Um, you know, I distinctly remember, and I was not the nicest person the day that Dylan died. Um, I remember yelling at them and saying, you know, you told me he was, you know, and I, yeah, I, and I distinctly remember saying, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it didn't work. Um, so, but like Kirk said, that was that day. And since then, I've done a lot of healing, um, and working. And I do know that, that my God was with Dylan the day he died.
0: Absolutely. How about you, Kim?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I
2: believe I, Don, my God was with Garrett the second he, before he ever hit the floor. Um, I believe in a God that an omnipotent God, all powerful, all knowing, um, of hope, love, and purity, and he has a perfect plan. It's not always my plan, but it's a perfect plan.
0: Dawn, you hit on something that's, I think, it's essential that we talked about. It was true for me, not once, not twice, but three times. But you said, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Has your understanding of prayer changed at all?
1: Um, yeah, it has, you know, I think I prayed before for God to fix things and now I pray for God to give me guidance and peace, not for him to swoop down and, you know, everything's going to be okay because I now know life is life and I hate to say this, but shit happens.
0: Well, and and to me, I I mean, if if this is, But but if this is truly the hand of God, you know, and if God is holding Dylan, if God is holding Garrett, if God is holding me, Kim and Kirk, then God is aware of all of it. And if God is as powerful as Kim believes, if God believes there's a kink in the program, I mean, I think God can breathe into the program and change the program. That's my, that's my. So for me, I grew up. Please, God, please, God, please, God, I'll do anything, I'll do anything, I'll be good, I promise I'll be good. You know I won't hit my brother, I won't, please, 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 anything, anything, anything. I'm trying to change what I now believe is the perfect mind of God. And as Kim said, do I always love the perfect mind of God? Not so much. But when I surrender to it and believe and trust that, when I'm on the other side, I'll go, oh, now I get it, now I understand it. That brings me peace. How about you guys, the Maddoxes? Has your you know understanding or version of prayer changed at all?
2: Mine has. Um, I did finally get to the point before Garrett died. I was desperate, you know, for the last probably year of Garrett's life to find a way to help Garrett get back to treatment. Our focus had been his addiction and alcoholism. And so for for someone whose son died by suicide, I know very little about suicide prevention or awareness. Our focus was um, alcoholism and substance abuse. So I know a lot more about that. But my prayer was desperate in the years before Garrett died and became finally, when I finally surrendered, when I finally realized I had nothing left that I could do for Garrett. Um, Then I finally started praying, thy will be done. And then he died. And um, four years later, after a lot of soul searching and a lot of hard work, um, now my prayers have begin with gratitude. They always begin with gratitude. So um, even my fearful prayers when I'm afraid of, you know, something going on with maybe someone of my other children, I always say, thank you. For instance, my daughter works in a hospital. And instead of saying, please, dear God, protect her as she goes to work, I say, in my mind, dear Lord, thank you for protecting my daughter today as she goes about her daily tasks at work.
0: Wow, that's a shift in perception. Wow. Say that again. That's really powerful.
2: Um... And, you know, it's taken, it's been a lot of years,
0: four years, but
2: uh, my shift has been through, I now approach my prayers to God through gratitude. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess, semantics, but words have power. And I am grateful today for so many things. And so when I pray about something, I'll say, um, you know, dear Lord, thank you for... You know, allowing Kirk to be able to continue to go to his job today instead of please protect the farm and keep us out of bankruptcy.
0: <laughs> but, but to me, the new prayer that you're offering and that you're sharing with us, it's actually rooted in a belief that God is always, always, always holding your daughter. Is always, is always protecting your daughter, is always by your daughter's side. So what you're actually doing, is really powerful. You're acknowledging what is truth. You're actually, you're holding a vision of your truth and you're feeling what it feels like. For me to say thank you for protecting Amy today as she goes to work, is so different than, please, 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 please please protect her, make sure no one with the virus spits on her. Two drastically, drastically different things. You're holding the vision, you're feeling, you're actually feeling what it feels like, and you're drawing it in. That's powerful. That, that, for anyone that believes in the concept of co-creating, that we actually co-create our experiences, that's it right there. You're a very wise
3: woman.
2: I had a good teacher.
3: How about you, Kirk? Uh, yeah, my my prayers have changed. Like Kim, I start my prayers with gratitude. I thank God for all my blessings that I have, my family, my job, my life. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. And what made sense to me with prayers is like, Tom, I've talked to you a lot about it. You prayed and prayed and prayed that Rory wouldn't die, that, you know, you had time to do that. And I got to thinking about that. And for me, it doesn't make sense that God would answer everybody's prayers. Everybody, if they have time, everybody prays that their loved one's not going to die. You know, if they're sick, if they have time to pray to God to try to save them if God answered everybody's prayers no one would ever die you know if they had time to pray to God about it so that doesn't resonate with me that God would answer all our prayers the way that we pray to him the way I prayed to him before so yeah I've changed my prayers that you know to be thankful and grateful for the things that I do have and and to be grateful and thankful for the 26 years that I had with my son I'm forever grateful for that
0: this is one of the mysteries of life if you ask me I don't know what percentage of particularly Americans are Christian but the vast majority of Christians are taught we come to the planet we live a life we die we go to heaven, we're reunited with God. To me, that sounds like a kind of, kind of like an up thing, a fun thing, going to heaven, being reunited with God. But when the shit hits the fan, regardless, I mean, grandpa could be 97 years old. We're like, please, please, please keep, don't take him. Don't take him. We, we, we need another month. Isn't there more pills? Can't you hook him up to another? I'm like, what? Were you people not paying attention? Our loved one is going into the arms of whatever you believe God to be. I always found that such a huge huge disconnect. Now having said that, you're absolutely right. When Trish died, I literally I opened my arms and I said thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. When Rory with the glioblastoma is laying in that bed hooked up to the ventilator, I'm like, you better not take him. You better not take him. Get away, get away, get out of here. Trish, if you're here, get the hell out of this room. No, 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 no. But what I was really clear about, that was about me. That was about me. I knew that child would be fine. I knew it would be the the 87th adventure around the entire universe on a funky spaceship. It was me. It was me. I was like, I will not. I cannot, I will not do this again. I will not. So yeah, I prayed as hard as I could to keep that kid here. And the glorious gift of his death is once and for all I knew, I am not that powerful. I am simply not powerful enough to keep my child here. And if I'm not powerful enough, neither is Don, neither is Kirk, neither is Kim. None of us are. All the people listening live who have a dead person, we're all in the same boat. Not one of us was powerful enough to keep our people here. I wanna circle back because I know that there are people listening going, gratitude. Are you kidding me? I, I have a dead husband. I have a dead daughter. There was a heroin overdose or a hanging or a, a jumping off of a bridge. Gratitude. What the hell? But I have to be gratitude, grateful for So if you could address that and like, how were you able to, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly open that door of gratitude? How did that work for you?
1: I know. So for me, um, it was a daily, daily <laughs> process. And uh, I'm the first one to say that, you know, people said, oh, you need to journal. You need to write down gratitudes. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? What? I, my only kid's gone. I, I, I can't do that. But. I started to, I opened up the journal book and I opened up my gratitude journal and I gave myself permission to write down one a day and it gradually grew and grew and grew. And I took time for myself. Um, You know, taking care of myself was a huge, huge thing for me. Um, And staying in the moment as well.
0: And, Was it very, very, very gradual? And was it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth?
1: Yes, very gradual. And there were days that I did not write in the journal and I did not write my gratitudes down. But then I always seemed to circle back and go back to it. And after I did, then I felt much, much better. My day day took on a whole different persona.
0: Is it easier for you today to consciously choose to be in in a a pool of gratitude as opposed to of lack
1: yes absolutely
3: how about you Kirk uh yeah for me it was a gradual process yeah to start with I was pissed you know I was pissed I came from lack and fear I was pissed all the years I got robbed you know the daughter-in-law that i didn't get, my grandchildren from Garrett that I didn't get, I was pissed. But then, yeah, it's a, for me, it was a practice. I had to intentionally think about what I had to be grateful for. Like Don said, I had to be in the present moment and I had to consciously think of what I was grateful for. I've heard you say grateful for electricity, you know, small, a cup of coffee. That's how it started for me small things. I was grateful that I get to work with my other son on the farm. I was grateful for being on the farm. I was grateful for my life. And, and, but it took, yeah, it took intention and it took, uh, focus and, and concrete steps towards that. And it started out small, but today with, for me, it took a lot of practice and, and, but for me, it's now I look forward to looking for stuff. I look for stuff to be grateful for and beauty, finding beauty in the world all around me, wherever I am. And that's how it, you know, now it's just, uh, my common practice. How about you, Kim? Um,
2: let's see. And then I think I really truly had to be. uh, Well, they, you know, I think there's a saying that says something about when you have, when you become sick and tired of being sick and tired, or the pain becomes unbearable where you are, you do something different. And because Garrett died by suicide, and that was my only experience of losing a child, and it was by suicide, the shame and the stigma of him dying by suicide was unbelievable and the guilt and the, the shame that I carried from that. So um, I carried that for as long as I did. I, need, I needed to until I became willing to try something different. And then that's where gratitude came in from the bottom up because It was, I mean, I remember even going to the grocery store and not wanting to run into people to talk to them. Even though I knew Garrett was in heaven, the fact that he had died by suicide was just all-consuming. And so I had to wallow in all that. I felt I should feel horrible. I felt I should suffer. And I had to forgive myself before I could ever begin to feel anything about gratitude. And so there were some stepping stones getting there.
0: Why did you think you should suffer?
2: Well, my child chose to end his life. So um, for a long time, I felt like uh, very culpable in that decision that he made. Um, He was suffering. And, you know, as a parent, you should be the one to protect him. We were actively working, trying to get Garrett back to treatment. Uh, We we knew he was struggling. When Garrett died, the autopsy report, this is the part that is confusing sometimes for me. His autopsy report came back clean except for alcohol. He had 33% alcohol in his body. One third of his blood was alcohol. How he managed to put a gun to his head and and die by suicide, I'll never know. The only thing I can come up with is that that was the day Garrett was supposed to die. That was Garrett's day to die. Um, it was not to be prevented. It was to be he was to die that day. But with thirty three percent alcohol in his blood level was, you know, off the charts. I mean, that's unheard of. You know, did did he and he was suffering so immensely, did he want to die or want to end his pain or what was it? So as a mother, to not be able to help Garrett, your child, out of that kind of pain that, that he would choose to end his life um, was tremendous guilt and it brought tremendous pain.
0: So were you holding on to the belief that the children of good mothers don't choose to end their own life?
2: Yes. And that I would, I could have done something that I was powerful enough to change the perfect mind of God. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't really think about at that time, my God of, my omnipotent God of knowing. And, you know, it was much, much years later that I finally realized, well, God didn't say, oops, you know, gosh, I didn't know Garrett was going to die that day.
0: I was busy looking over to the left,
2: you know, oops, sorry. You know, my bad, you know, when I finally, finally, finally was able to let that sink in forgive myself about a thousand times, it was freedom, freedom to live fully
3: again. Kirk, did you feel guilt? Yes, I felt tremendous guilt. I think for me, what I believe is, I believe we do have a lot in common with, you know, when we, what I believe is when we lose a significant loss, we have a lot of things in common. Most things in common, we're all in a, say a shit category, you know, a shit stadium, a shit sandwich, whatever you want to say, it's all in a bad area. So does it really matter all the details? But for me, that all that being said, I believe that a hundred percent, but I also believe with suicide for me, there is a, another layer of guilt. You know, I know there was for me, I'm the father, I'm supposed to be the protector of the family. They're my children. I'm supposed to look out for them. I'm supposed to do stuff to fix whatever's wrong, you know, and, and most of my life I had been able to do that. But until I surrendered to the fact that I was not powerful enough to save Garrett, I had guilt all the time. I lived with guilt. And like Jim, I was comfortable in guilt. I, that was my go-to place. When, when I take a step forward or two steps forward, I always, at the beginning went back to guilt i felt i should pay i had done something wrong otherwise garrett would still be here i felt comfortable making myself pay in my mind and uh it took a lot of work to get out of that you know but i believe yeah with suicide there is a, for me i believe there is a layer of guilt there as a parent so uh
0: let's just randomly say a father maybe whose 13 and a half year old son gets diagnosed with a glioblastoma, that that father might think, what did I expose my child to? What did I feed my child? What environment did I put him in that literally caused this cancer? Oh my God, I should have known better. Why didn't I know better? Why did I let him? Why did I subject him to this? I should have saved him. I should have saved him. How would that be different? How
3: would that guilt be different? For me, the difference is Rory didn't choose to die. He didn't make the choice to take his own life. He fought with everything that he had. You fought with everything you had to try to keep him on this planet planet, you know, that's the difference for me that I see. Our son chose, you know, was he thinking clearly? I believe he wasn't. Was he depressed? Yes, I believe he was. Was he under the influence of alcohol? Yes, he was. But still he chose to take his own life. And that to me, that's the difference when, you know. And and, and so does holding on to that belief, does that still cause you a little bit of pain? No, I've I've released that. It it caused me tremendous pain at the beginning, but I believe that God doesn't make mistakes, you know, and my God was with Garrett when he died and Garrett died when he was supposed to. I believe that a hundred percent with my being within my soul. I believe that. Do yeah. I understand that? No, I do not. I don't understand it. I don't, you know, it wasn't my plan, it wasn't my prayer. So I am comfortable releasing that, you know. What what I say to myself with that particular thing is I leave room for God to be God. I'm not God. I'm not going to be able to figure that one out and I've released that to my God, you know. I believe that everything happened perfectly, but you know, not my plan, but my God's plan. So I've released that. Yeah. And and I call that surrendering, not giving up, not giving up, but surrendering. I surrender.
0: How about you, Dawn? Did guilt enter in?
1: Oh yeah. Huge. I remember distinctly standing in the visitation line and like almost apologizing to people saying I couldn't protect Dylan. I, you know, I couldn't protect him from himself. And Now I think back and go, what the was I saying? You know, and um, sure, guilt, huge. And I was walking in that muck and mire. And I carry, you know, I call it like carrying in my backpack, you know, and that crap I put on top of myself. And like Kirk said and Kim said, until you, until we surrender and just start letting that go, I was tired of living in that shit. And I didn't want to do it every day. And I was tired of going to the grocery store and worrying about, oh, you know, there's poor Dawn. You know, her son died by suicide. But that was my own shit. That that wasn't them. That was me projecting on me, thinking that everybody thought that. And I had to let that go.
0: So... For reasons I will never really understand, collectively we rank, there there are desirable, admirable ways to leave the planet. You know, like if you get shot in war, oh my God, what an incredible, incredible way to leave the planet. Probably unless you're the mother or the father or the husband or the wife or the kid, but my God, you know, how tawdry and shameful and despicable if your exit is suicide, heroin, or fentanyl. I mean, that's the bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel. Well, it's like, who came up with this?
2: I think part of the, the, uh, the burden of feeling the guilt about suicide for a survivor is the way we talk about it. You know, we say he committed suicide. That's a negative connotation. We don't say he committed a glioblastoma to grow in his brain. Exactly. Um, when you say suicide prevention month, we don't say glioblastoma prevention month, you know, or car accident prevention month. So the world stigmatizes the way they died from coming out of the gate. And to break free of that is tough. And it takes a lot of hard work.
1: And a lot of knowing how you believe. Yeah, because like Kim said, you know, the word prevention gives me, as a survivor of someone that I've lost to suicide, a negative connotation. That I, okay, well, wait a minute. What do you mean it's preventable? I should have done something. Really? Like I didn't know that. Of course, I know that. If I if I would have if I could have saved Dylan, I would have saved him. I Would have done anything I could. You know, but. I'm not that powerful. And it was his day to go that day in the right manner that he went. And it's taken me a long time to even get those words to come out of my mouth. And when I tell people, when I even remotely say something like that, they go, what the are you talking about? I mean, they look at me like I'm I'm crazy.
3: That's that's I believe, too. I I don't like the word prevents and prevents adds a layer of guilt I believe that says that we could have prevented the death of our child and you know I like the word awareness you know suicide awareness to be aware of it and what can we do to change that but but prevention I don't like it at all and I don't like the word commit suicide commit you know, commit is a crime, you you know, you committed a robbery, you committed a murder. I don't like that. I choose to say die by suicide, died by suicide, but committing suicide is a negative connotation also.
0: So I'm gathering that because the four of us believe that words have power, if some one more powerful than the four of us decided to throw out Suicide Prevention Month into National Suicide Prevention Day and rename that that's something that is absolutely, actually more appropriate and truer, you would all be in favor of that? Absolutely. So none of you believe that suicide is preventable.
1: I do
3: oh. Go ahead, Kirk. I don't.
2: I don't believe I can prevent any kind of death. I'm not that powerful. Do I believe I can become aware of people in that may choose suicide because they are in at risk? I absolutely do. And I think we need to be aware and educate ourselves. Because I don't know. I do, I'm not God. I need room for God to be God. I don't know the people that will die by suicide and the people that will be prevented from our intervention of dying by suicide. I don't know which one of those people are supposed to die in those days. It's my job to reach out the best I can and educate. It's God's job to decide
1: who dies by suicide and who is prevented from suicide.
0: So go ahead, John.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, can we help reduce suicides? Sure, we can promote like Kim said we can talk about it. We can empower people we can reduce stigma We can do a lot of things, but for the for a lot of people that I've spoken to their loved ones had no mental illness they um, They didn't have any kind of diagnosed You know mental illness. They were in a shit storm of whatever was going on in their life and it was the perfect storm that day and they decided that life, they're out. They didn't want to live anymore.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I'm scrolling through the um, comments. So Dawn, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do not believe that every single person that chooses to end their life does it because they're mentally ill.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, even the CDC even says that over 50% of suicides are not from a diagnosed mental illness. They are from loss of a job, um, COVID, um, you know, isolation, um, loss of a spouse, loss of a child. Loss you know, of hope. Loss of hope. Absolutely. And it just compounds. And then, like I want to say, it, I call it the perfect storm. And that's when it happens, you know, not the typical, um, you know, American foundation for suicide prevention questionnaire. Are they giving things away? Are they doing this? No, they're not right. They're because they're masking it. Dylan was great at it. He was the best, you know, he was, the. T- I, he, remind, he always reminded me of Robin Williams. He could make you laugh. He could make your bad day turn into a great day. But deep down inside, he was hurting.
0: This is another thing. I know Dawn. I know Kirk. I know Kim. And love alone is not sufficient to prevent someone from ending their life. Kirk and Kim loved love Loved, love, 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 Garrett. That was not enough. Dawn, love, 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 Dylan. That was not enough to keep your children here. What, I mean, I want to return to this, but I believe it was you, Kirk, but it might've been Kim. One of you said, That was the day Garrett was supposed to die. That is a freaking revolutionary statement, particularly among families whose loved ones died by suicide. But it's also in the broadest, broadest gathering of people who have loved ones that died. That's revolutionary. That was the day Garrett was supposed to die. And this is why it rings so true to me because you can have two people who have very, very, very similar experiences, and one of them ends their life, and the other one does not. Why? That person wasn't, it wasn't the plan. It wasn't their time. It wasn't the exit point. This person, it was. That is the only thing that makes sense to me. But I would love it if you would talk about that, because my hunch is on the day... You discovered your beloved's body. You didn't think, oh, well, I feel pretty good because clearly this was Dylan's day to exit. Oh, this is the day, Kim. Garrett exited today. Okay, let's go have some cake.
2: Yeah, can I, I'll jump in here real quickly with the something that I'll never forget that I've learned in the last four years. A way to understand um, this a tiny bit better Um the people who died on 9 that were up in the tallest, tallest buildings that were, you know, on fire, they were experiencing tremendous pain, tremendous pain. They were literally experiencing physical pain. As I know Garrett was in terrible pain, you know, his built and built and built like Don had said. And so the people who jumped out of those towers that literally jumped out of the towers at the 150th floor or whatever it was, they didn't stop to think when they jumped out of that tower that they were going to die. Anyway, they wanted their pain to end. They wanted their pain to end. So their only option for them, they became so tunnel vision with the pain. They wanted the pain to stop. And their only option was going out that window, you know, never contemplating that at 150 floors up, they're dying anyway. They just wanted to not be burnt to death. So that's one way of seeing how someone in that kind of, we. I can't fathom that kind of pain because I've never been there. You know, I, I don't understand it. Now, we, we would, um, we would have died for Garrett. I would have died for Garrett. I wasn't given that choice. Um, I love Garrett with all my being. I did everything I possibly could to prevent, to give him a good life and to prevent anything bad happening to him, much less him dying by suicide. Uh, He'd been to treatment. He'd been to AA for years. You name it. We tried to do it. We did all that. And Garrett died anyway. And he did not mean to hurt me. He did not mean to hurt Kirk, his family. He wanted his pain to end. I believe God did answer my prayers. I didn't want my son to suffer. I don't, I don't want him to suffer. Did I want him to die? I did not, but I certainly didn't want him to continue to suffer the way he was. And Garrett didn't want to live that way. He was clear about that and he saw no way out. So I've chosen to believe that God did answer Garrett's prayers and our prayers in a roundabout way. He saved Garrett from more suffering and he brought him home and he loves him more than I ever, ever could.
0: I love the image of the people on the towers. I never quite thought about it that way, but they're standing on the ledge and they know if I stay here, I will either burn to death, I'll I'll fall to my death, I'll explode to my death. And, And they knew there was no way out. It's exactly what you said. So they made a choice. They made a conscious choice. And when I think about it, there's something brave about that. I don't know that I would be able to do it. There's something brave about it. There's something admirable about it and i understand it i mean it makes sense to me they it's like their last gesture was to have control over their destiny that's admirable what is the difference between what garrett did and what the person who chose to jump off of the building because they knew what the alternative was I, I've never thought about it that way. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Or the
2: person who fights the the fight of the big, the cancer battle, they fight
0: also. Garrett fought also. To- or the person who has stage four cancer and flies to Oregon and say, "I will take the pill, doctor, because there is no way out, and I'm going to have control. I'm going to choose." And actually, I'm going to consciously choose to exit early because I know that all that's ahead of me is pain, 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 pain. I've thought about long and hard. That's what I would do. That's what I am going to do if I'm ever in that situation. What? Think, are you? Go ahead.
1: I think for you know children and suicide, there's um, that's where I think. The awareness needs to really take place because um, people have asked me, well, why do you think there's so many suicides? Why do you think that? And I said, well, I don't I don't know. I can only speculate maybe one because we're talking about it more. Um, I can also speculate because of social media, especially for our children. Um, I just think that they have so much going on with social media. And I think that's where I think I feel that more awareness needs to take place in those in that younger group of um, humans because they don't know how to process all of that stuff, and you know, I that's what I believe. So,
2: and they don't link cause and effect. They don't link. They are incapable of linking cause and effect till well into their twenties. Right. That's been proven.
0: I've shared this before, a pivotal moment for me, as I heard the Dalai Lama speak six or seven years ago, and he literally said, you Americans have lost hope. You have lost hope, and that's why the suicide rate in your country continues to rise, and it will continue to rise until you find hope again. And it was in listening to him that I set the intention, and I made the conscious choice that I was literally, I was literally going to become hope for other people. Suicide awareness, yeah. If we each individually and collectively become hope for each other, that energy raises the vibrational level. It's worth a try, people. It's worth a try. Um, Kirk, did can I
2: ask, can I add one thing here? You know, we focus so much on the people preventing the actual death of someone. When we are aware of someone at risk, we, and we, do, we intervene, even, not, even believing that I'm not capable of changing the perfect mind of God. I'm intervening, I'm aware, and doing what I can as a human to make that life better. If he's not supposed to die and he actually lives, have I enhanced or helped him, or reduced his pain? Helped him live a better life? I don't know who's going to die and who doesn't. I, my job is to help, reduce when I can, show love, compassion. You know, make the the people that will live here will have better lives if we are aware.
0: This is one thing I know. I had, a, I had an experience that I shared probably four or five weeks ago now, I met this guy. His name is Jordan. He goes by the name of Jordass. No coincidence that I met him. He literally shared the story of him getting on his bike at 3 a.m. in the morning because he had decided to end his life. Why did he decide to end his life? Because his dear, dear, dear friend had taken a gun to her brain and blew her brains out, and he was spiraling down. Now, he was so methodical that the two weeks prior to the date he was going to kill himself, he literally went around to all of his friends to say goodbye. He knew he was saying goodbye, he had a plan. He rode his bike in March when it is freezing in the Midwest. He got a little nervous because he was standing on a bridge, so he threw his bike over the bridge to kind of test the waters. He hesitated, but he had a plan. He threw himself over. He even was aware enough to keep his mouth open so the water would get in his body and he would sink. When he hit the water, he shut his mouth and he realized that he wasn't going down, down, down. And he heard this voice that said, breathe, breathe, breathe. And he said it was a woman's voice. And I said, whose voice was it? He said it was my friend that had shot herself in the head. So... He got his, he he had his phone, he got his phone and he tried to call his mom. His phone wouldn't work. He's floating in the water. You know, it's cold. It's dark. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. He calls 911. It works. The police pick him up. They take him to what I believed was a world-class psychiatric unit at one of our three hospitals they would keep him for two days. They literally lent him this book. I said, they lent it to you? He said, they didn't have enough copies. They lent it to me. But he said, don't worry, when I got out, I bought it. I have read it over and over and over again. He said, you changed my life, your book changed my life. And I said, so you stayed for two days? He said, hell no, I told him I wanted to stay for a week. I needed help. I knew I I needed help. And I said, so when you left after being there for seven days, did you feel better? He said, I felt like shit. I felt horrible. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I said, well, what was the follow-up treatment? And he said, well, you know, there's a virus. So they gave me the number of, it starts with an R, people in Rockford, the award-winning treatment center, he called, and the woman said, well, you know, you can't come in because of the virus, so wait in the parking lot. Let me know when you're here, and I'll call you, when, you can, when I can see you. He said, I waited there for an hour and a half. She never called me back, so I went home. And I said, what was the follow-up? There's no follow-up. There's no follow-up. He said, my follow-up is, God let me to you. I bumped into you. Your book, your message saved me. That's how we're treating someone in small-town Midwestern America who jumps off a bridge? We can do better. We must do better. Yes? And I
2: think we are doing better. I really truly do we are not, we
0: are not in this town, we are not in this town. That just happened in March, and I heard from so many people that said that's my story, that's my story, that's my story, that's my story, that's my story
2: and i'll I'll preface my my uh my remark here as an individual when I've known better now, I am doing better. I now can recognize a little bit more. About being aware when someone's in need, I can understand a little bit better about reaching out and showing love, and just with no intention of trying to save someone from killing themselves, just to let them know they are simply loved. Yeah, I can do better, and I have done better since Garrett died.
0: And, and you don't have a budget of millions and millions and millions of dollars earmarked to assist people who. Either are contemplating suicide or have attempted suicide. the The message to me and to Jordan of his experience was, "It wasn't my time to go." It, that's you know. I said, "Why do you think you you're, you're still here?" It wasn't my time. It wasn't my plan. Clearly, this is how I want to go ahead.
1: I think too, like psychiatric units, and and I worked psychiatric units. I worked when I was in the Navy. I think we tend to cookie-cut mental health and, you know, okay, this is this, and you have this, and then you follow this. We don't do that with other disease processes, do we? I mean, if you have this, then it's specific. I had breast cancer. My breast cancer was very specific to me. My doctor treated me very specifically. Mental health, they seem to want to treat It has everybody's a cookie cutter and you have to fit in that. And if you don't fit in that, then like poor Jordan didn't have any follow up. I mean, for God's sakes, he could have shot himself or did something in the parking lot that day. And he didn't.
0: But many, many, many people do. And I know their mothers and I know their fathers. I've worked with them, they've come to my programs. Many, many, many people do.
1: you're doing it in veteran in VA parking lots, and veterans have a 1.5 percent higher chance of taking their own lives as well.
0: So, so to me, the question is, it's like, who really cares? It's like, who really cares about humanity? Who cares about our brothers? Who cares about our sisters? Exactly, Kim, to your point. I know you do, and I do, and Kirk does, and Dawn does. And, and maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, it's, maybe, that's why we're, maybe that's why Dylan and Garrett said, now's the time, now's the time. Maybe there's going to be five other people that will say, I'll be hope, I'll care. I'll start caring and then there'll be five other people and then there'll be five other people. Yeah, probably. The ripple effect. Yeah. There's four people here that care. That's why we had this conversation tonight. This is how I would like to end it. Where exactly do you believe Dylan is and where exactly do you believe Garrett is tonight? You know, in general, and how would you describe the relationship that you have with them today?
1: Well, I know Dylan is right here because actually while we were sitting here, I got a thing on my iWatch and it was these photos <laughs> that popped up on my iWatch. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, Dylan. You're right here. So he's right here. He, he never leaves me. He's always by me.
0: He's always coming up somewhere. So don you have a son who shot himself in the head you look beautiful you look happy you have a smile on your face and your t-shirt said kind is the new cool so you're not the picture that i would paint of a mother whose only child whose only child shoots himself in your house and you're the first one that finds him so you offer a new way to do this yes
1: it's doable and it can be done and i work it every day so yeah i mean i i had to surrender you know because if i didn't i would be still carrying all that crap with me and i i choose not to do that i choose to live in peace and not in pain my choice
0: how about you kim another mother
1: um Garrett is with me
2: all the uh, time. For instance, tonight, this actually happened tonight. Um, I was at Walmart earlier and doesn't happen every day, but it happened tonight. You know, I was having this tonight, this happened tonight. There was a young man that had a real long beard and a dog sitting by the side of the road, sitting outside of Walmart on the road. Passed him by. I was in a hurry to get home, get this started here tonight. I knew I had something going on. I got all the way down about a block and I got a nudge, turned around. He didn't even have a sign out. He didn't have a sign out. This is how Garrett talks to me. He said, Mom, go back. Go back. You know, there's nothing, it's not cold out. But the guy didn't need anything. He wasn't asking for anything. But this is how it works for me. That was Garrett telling me to go back. I had to go all the way back and circle back another block, pull into the parking lot, roll my window down, get it. You know, $20 bill out of my purse roll my window down the guy never even turned around he's grubby he looks like he needs food he has a dog sitting there with him and I say hey can I buy you a hamburger he turns around and he said yes I hand him the money I said go buy some food he said I will thank you very much and he goes back and sits down I go on down the road that was my son he said go back and buy that guy a hamburger mom that could be me today And that's how I do it, one person at a time. I show them I love them. I show them I care because that's all I can do. And Garrett was with me today. I didn't want to go back. I was in a hurry. I wanted to get home. But Garrett wanted to go back and buy the guy a McDonald's hamburger. He's with me all the time.
0: So Garrett was loud and clear. And, and 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 you've been doing this long enough that you said yes.
2: And when I turn my car around, you know those signs that get on one side it gives you the speedometer the, the speed. On the back side, as I'm driving down, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm gonna to talk to the stranger, he's not even asking for anything. It says thank you on the back side of the speedometer sign, right by where that guy is. I mean, it wasn't his sign, it was and I'm like, You are welcome, Garrett, because I'm gonna hurry. <laughs>
3: How about you Kirk? I believe Garrett's all around me all the time and he talks to me you know I listen to him not in my voice with his voice but in my mind in my heart and he talks to our family too we were Kim and I were talking the other day about our daughter Amy and how she's grown and you know how she's more grateful for all the stuff that she has, more aware of her children, her surroundings, the beautiful life she has. And we were texting back and forth with her. And she said, Garrett has taught her more after he died than when he was here, you know? And it was it was so beautiful. It made me want to cry. It really did, I, you know? And, and we can see it in her. So he's not only around me, he's around Kim, I believe he's around Kim, and I know he's around Kim, our our family, our children, our grandchildren, he's everywhere, and Clay said the same thing, Clay has told us how proud we are, how proud he is of us, how we've continued to heal, and, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see Garrett helping not only us, but our family.
0: So, in the first book, Permission to Mourn, I quote Marianne Williamson because I love her definition of a miracle. She says a miracle is a shift in perception, a shift in perception. And I had the distinct great honor tonight of literally being with three walking miracles. I, 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 know you, I knew you guys at the beginning and I know you today. And you are walking, walking, walking miracles. And if it is possible for Dawn, if it is possible for Kirk, if it is possible for Kim, it is possible for every single person whose beloved brought them here, either live or via the recording to hear this message. There's a new way. There's a new way to do grief. And that creates a new way to do life. And that's part of the reason why the four of us are on the planet, to let people know there is a new way. So I'm pleading with folks that are listening, if this message resonates, share the video, share the video, how else will the others know? How will they know if we don't become the teachers? If this resonates with you, I'm here Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Central. We went deep tonight. We went really deep tonight like I knew we would. I have a brand new podcast. It's called Becoming Radiant. You can subscribe to it anywhere you get your podcasts. I have a YouTube channel. Go to YouTube. Put in my name, Tom Zuba. Do not put in Tom Zumba. And that is not my name. Go Tom, Zuba. There, There is a, a, my, my individual conversation with Dawn, my individual conversation with Kim and Kirk, and many, many, many other people who are doing grief a new way. We care about you. We are offering you knowledge. We are offering you wisdom. We are offering you tools. But we cannot make you drink, we cannot make you eat. You have to lean in. You have to lean in. I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's a uh, part of my optimal life that I had a vision of three years ago, and to be patient and to allow life to unfold as it should. Him to see your radiant, beaming face honestly, honestly. It, thank you
2: for. Say Garrett's name and tell his
0: story again. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I am eternally grateful that the three of you are in my life. And you know what? I'm well aware of the fact that if Dylan was alive, if Garrett, Garrett was alive, I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know you. That's true. So we are going to say goodbye. I am going to log off of Facebook, but the three of us will still be here. Take care, everybody. Let's stop recording. 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 Recording.